0: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the TLDR podcast. Uh, apologies for the week off. One of us had a little getaway that uh, was well overdue and I uh, enjoyed my time up north of Queensland. So for those who are wondering wondering what was happening last week, that is what's happened. I'll take fully respons- full responsibility for that one. But we're back this week, um, pumped to get in and we got a bit of uh, some interesting topics to discuss between Luke and myself. But first off, mate, how you been?
1: I've been good. Yep, it's been a busy couple of weeks. Um, tell us about your trip, man. Where did you stay? What was the weather like? Oh, I won't bore you guys too much with it. It was
0: just a trip up to far north Queensland, so tropical north Queensland uh, with my partner. Went to little resort, back place kind of just inland up there and spent a few days there, first of all. Then went up to Cape Tribulation, which is, according to one of the locals, the New Nimbin. So um, for anyone knows that knows what nimbin is known for um and if you don't look it up uh it's an interesting experience but um just i've never been to a rainforest and it's been a dream of mine to go kind of into that part of the country for about seven years seven years ago i had flights booked and they got cancelled uh for whatever reason but good to be able to get back up there or get up there for the first time and experience that and then went to a place called the table or atherton tablelands which if you've been up that way or you've researched that way you probably know what they are um, but it's basically just quite um, hilarious. You drive the, the, you know, one lane roads, but they're two way um, full green, rolling hills, very UK vibes. But then you literally just turn a corner and you're in a rainforest. Like it's quite bizarre um, with like waterfalls and all that sort of stuff. So it was pretty fresh um, up there on the table, but um, still got into the water, had a swim. I saw that many, I've been I've lived in Australia my whole life, uh, bar um, a little season. I, I lived here in the UK, so I know all about the deathly animals that we have here. But I saw a scorpion. I saw two snakes. Um, we saw what do we see? Oh, we just uh, that that's probably as deadly as it got. One of them was like on our path when these snakes just scared. I'm petrified. I feel the snake. I was swimming in water with a water snake on a rock. They're not deadly, but Still not ideal. Um, walked like 90, no, 70 minutes one way to this beautiful hike. Walked 60 minutes back, 10 minutes from the car. There's this like eastern brown snake just on this hell fucking narrow path. Yeah. Um, I'm like throwing like sticks just left and right of it, trying to see if it'll move off the path. But if it does, it's into like knee length grass anyway. You won't see a thing. Yeah. Oh man, the, the high knee running I did out of there was this like, reminiscent of like kindergarten um just learning to run it was it would have been it was hilarious for those that watched because there were another couple that uh <laughs> helped us out and watched us and they had a good laugh but um yeah man just saw some epic wild saw a platypus in the wild for the first time uh, which was sick yeah big fan of nature and that and that sort of stuff and and so remote had barely any signal the whole time i was out there um but on the, on the very last day, we had to drive back into Cairns and drop the, the car off. And my brother-in-law's cousin races triathlons and has done for years. Um, I previously did a little bit of coaching with him when he was starting off, and, and I'd have zero claim to that fame. But he's very 100% into it now. He's top 10 in his age group in Australia, which is pretty epic wow. um, because that age group would be the age group, kind of that 30s range uh, and he was racing at the cairns ironman did the 70.3 uh, and that was cool to witness just the whole spectacle i've never been to one of those events and definitely got the uh a little bit of a buzz about me about maybe potentially one day doing one of those um sure. so that was a cool way to kind of wrap up um to see a bit of a a race um of that scale because it is a massive scale for yeah jumping on a plane getting back in here late sunday afternoon um straight back into, into work on the on the Monday. Oh, so that's good. me for the past seven days. Tell me about your cold, wet uh, Adelaide life.
1: Oh, mate. It's been brutal down here. Is it a coincidence that you start an Instagram account and then go to like the most Instagrammable place in Australia by the looks of it? Like I'm just looking uh, at these photos and I'm so jealous.
0: It's not a coincidence. It's just, uh, it is a coincidence, 100%, it's 100% to a coincidence uh okay. yeah that had nothing he to do with it so. timing was opportune for sure
1: but mm. um yeah well played
0: gotta be able to, gotta be able to share that part of the world it's pretty pretty unreal they're they're really um appreciative and respectful of the indigenous culture up there which is pretty important to both Zoe and myself so that was cool just to kind of have that in the back of your minds as you're exploring this just remote lands of like I'm, I'm from WA as most of you will know and that's just dry and flat and windy and this is like hilly green and rainy like just different like polar opposites to to what i grew up with so um to think that um you know people lived there is just quite different for me to kind of understand and comprehend and um just taking that on board when we were exploring like one of these hikes was just muddy i slipped over a couple of times like up steep and then down oh like rocks heaps of like zoe had leeches on her when she was you know we went she went swimming in this sort of rapids area and got a couple of leeches on her so never seen them like had them before just wild man like just so literally wild literally wild and and that's that's the stuff that not the the bugs and shit but like just living in that and exploring that different completely different climate is probably what i'll take away from it for mine and just, I'm a big fan of driving, which sounds really weird, but I love just driving different roads and windy roads um, and all that sort of stuff. Just as a, like that side of an experience is really, really, uh, I know fun for me. So that was cool to do in different and just a brand new land, I guess.
1: It makes you kind of appreciate like the different stages that human beings have been through as well. You know, yeah. indigenous people living in those areas and what they would have had to go through. Yep. And now almost as like a bit of a segue like sentient AI, you know, that could be uh, our topic of conversation.
0: 100%. So really nice segue, really smooth, (laughs) subtle. Um, I got sent this article from my sister actually uh, recently, very recently, within the last day, I think. And um, I don't know if – I'm going to probably get some research on it as as we talk so I don't sound completely um, inept. But essentially what this article – Outlines is these uh, Google software developers or Google researchers, I guess, that were having this conversation with something called Lambda. Now, for those who don't know, like Lambda, Lambda is basically a a software service that is AI that is basically sentient. And in this discussion between the the Google researchers and Lambda, um, Lambda actually responds and saying. Yes, I am sentient. I am a sentient being. I want to be a person. I am a person. And like, I think exactly like you guys. And this isn't, this is basically people putting questions to, it's like what we're doing. We're putting questions to, some, to each other and they're having a conversation. And it goes as in-depth as what are the themes in like these novels? Have you ever heard about this passage? No, never heard of it. Cool. Well, this is what it reads like. Give me your understanding of that. My understanding of that is this um what about these specific themes that they brought up oh well when it relates to that I think this means that that's because of these um outcomes or whatever they're basically having a full-on conversation with a computer like it can think for itself and I wanted to kind of bring it up today just because like this is the life and times that we live in I guess and, and it would be foolish of us um and I say us as whoever's listening as well to ignore um progression in science and technology so great Um, because as simple as think about it this way, less than a hundred years ago, um, explorers went to Amazon, the Amazon, and they were mapping countries. So, and I don't know this, because I recently watched a video on this as well, but like 1925 or just just before 1925, there were a couple of explorers that went down to um, the Amazon rainforest and were mapping the border between Bolivia and Brazil, I'm pretty sure. So we hadn't even figured out what the world map looked like a hundred years ago, and here we are creating a being that is that can exist on its own and have its own thoughts. Like the progression of the human uh, being, the human being, or you know, is in a hundred years when we've been around for millions, or the world's been around for millions, is just phenomenal. Like I don't know what where, where does your head sit with all that.
1: Dude, where do I even start? And I've listened to a lot of actually just kind of ironically um, and coincidentally, listened to a lot of stuff on consciousness in the last couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, and then when you sent me this thing, I was like, oh my God, like it yeah. all ties it all together, what they've been talking about. And uh, there's this thing called panpsychism. <clears throat> and panpsychists believe that everything has some level of consciousness. You know, like obviously you and I have consciousness, or mm-hmm. so we kind of perceive it, having mm-hmm. this conversation right now. We've got introspective. Thought, we can um, be aware of our surroundings and interpret our surroundings and talk to each other and have these kinds of communications. So, mm-hmm. we a lot of people agree that humans have consciousness. Yeah. And psychists believe that everything has some level of consciousness, even like trees and rocks and so na- natural things. All things, so even like things that we create. To me. Correct. Yeah. yeah, right. Everything. Everything has some level of consciousness. Obviously, it's going to vary in the level of consciousness. Mm-hmm. We, I mean, maybe it's just like we've anthropomorphized, what's the word? Anthropomological Anthropom- or whatever? Anthropomological. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever the word is, we've basically like humanized what consciousness is because it's the only thing, it's the only consciousness that we can perceive. So we just kind of understand consciousness as what we see it as, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Whereas trees consciousness could be completely different and the copy tables consciousness could be different again. I think yeah, it's a okay. fairly niche, um, not taboo, but it's very a small population of scientists believe in pen psychism. Yeah. Most people, most scientists believe that humans have consciousness and animals have consciousness, a lower state of consciousness. And then once you get further and further down into um, smaller and smaller systems mm. or clusters of cells, they don't have any level of consciousness, right? So, and yeah. sentience. So, what this article it like spooked me because this article is essentially we've created this system of like a neurological network um, of computational power. You know, billions of like neurons that we've created essentially. Yeah, and uh, and it even said in the conversation between. Um, I can't remember the guy's name, but the engineer software guy. Yeah. I was having a conversation with Landa. At what point did you become aware? Yeah. You know? And it wasn't aware from the very start. It developed this consciousness as it learned more um, about its surroundings and had more conversations with people and, you know, understood what emotions were. And then, mm. you know, suddenly it was just like snapped awake, kind of. Yeah. And, uh, that's pretty boggling. That's pretty mind-boggling.
0: It's it's basically like it's self-learned. Right. Software. So yeah, like it, it's constantly learning, which I think they've had for a while. Like I think software's been around like that, that can self-taught. Like the more, more information you get, it just continues to learn on that. But to be able to think for its own self when it comes to various bits of information that are giving to it and to have an opinion on things is
1: new right and it experiences human emotions supposedly loneliness happiness and sadness and contentment and um desire and it even meditates and you know what this lambda thing was talking about was it would often sit and you know try to not think about anything and it would just sit there in silence and it it seems so insane that this computer is saying this thing and it and, and it's kind of on the fence whether this thing is sent in or not. Yeah. Depending on who you talk to. Uh, Cause I did a little bit of research about it. Yeah. And that guy recently has been let go because he, uh, he breached the um, like the, uh, the non-disclosure agreement of Google or whatever, by releasing the transcript of this thing really? and himself. And uh, he's been put on, he's been put on leave and uh yeah, and he obviously strongly believes that this Lambda is a sentient artificial intelligence that That's he's, like, essentially created. So the hole goes deeper. The rabbit hole is very deep, I think, with this. And, uh, yeah, who knows?
0: Yeah, I'm curious. Like, I'm huge. Like, I love sci-fi, anything. Like, I've recently begun, and this might be me nerding out, I've recently begun watching um, Star Wars from beginning to end again, but, like, actual... Timeline, because there's a new series coming out on Disney called Everyone, wan Anyone that knows Star Wars, I'll put my glasses firmly on my face right now just to really fit the picture. Um, but there's, like there's so much that has been um, fantasized about and imagined by these fiction creators to do with what future worlds will, what future life will look like. And of course, without imagining something, how do you know how to get there? Like it would have had to have been imagined to create. So there's so much that's not yet imagined that we haven't created. Um, But to have these like creatives, I guess, putting out this fictional work around entertainment for entertainment values, I guess, and they may have some um, ulterior motives, but to then actually be getting closer to those is just Mm. ridiculous. And I think... um, Is it a Space Odyssey, which was done '68 by Stanley Kubrick? I think he that movie. I haven't seen it, so forgive me if I've got got, I butcher this. But um, that movie predicts something similar in 2001. It's called the movie is 2001: Space Odyssey. So so we're 21 years behind fiction. Like, Like pick up another book and just. It, you know, and it may not be that book, but like, yeah, the, the ideas that people are having aren't far off where we're going.
1: And the, uh, even with, you know, humans flying, the yeah. Wright brothers, I think it was two or three years before the Wright brothers created the first plane. Some journalists said it'll be 10 million years before yeah. humans fly. And then, you know, less than a decade later, we're flying. You know, yeah. and then the aviation industry is now like one of the biggest industries that there is. You know, only a mere however many years later, um, I actually listened to a listen to this guy on YouTube who breaks down stories, whether it be like stories from the Bible or fiction mm-hmm. or, um, you know, different theories that you know arise, like um, like the different levels of hell and the different levels of heaven. Yeah, and one he broke down was. Uh, the title is "I Have No Mouth, and I Must Scream." Have you heard of it before? No. What's
0: the name of the series on YouTube?
1: This is uh, it's just like a one-off episode. Oh, yeah. um, he just breaks down, you know, one book or one theory per episode. It's a great listening, yeah. and um, and he breaks down this this book. I can't remember the author, uh, but it's essentially what a lot of the horror genre is now based off. So it was a really early interpretation of this horror. And essentially, it's humans have created this AI, right? You're basically dropped in the middle of the of the plot, right? Like humans have created this AI that encompasses the entire Earth. Yeah. So there's still the surface of the Earth, but then there's sheets of alloy and metal that cover the entire surface of the Earth, mm. and then a dome around that, right? And he's yeah. essentially this AI. It's called AM, AM, has killed off all humans except for five, right? And, and is essentially made it so these humans can't die of natural causes if they ever try to like free themselves from this by killing themselves he stopped them in their tracks like he won't allow it and this ai has essentially created this um that's like his enjoyment what he gets from tormenting these five individuals yeah and essentially he is has become so deranged this ai that he is laughing about one of um, one of the characters has fallen from a high, a high place and uh, has like broken his leg or something. And the AI mm. is like laughing about it, having human emotion and laughing about this thing. And one of the other characters sees a, like a, a moment where he can kill two of the others um, and free them essentially from this thing. Yeah. And then the story progresses and, uh, and then he's the only one that's left. So they've somehow either killed themselves or been killed by one of the others they yeah. all made a pat spoilers for be- anyone that wants to watch it yeah, yeah. sorry this book is yeah. like a 100 years old but <laughs> <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> thinking about listening to it and uh even still reading it is yeah it would be really interesting anyway he ends up being the last one left yeah and um and now he's like so deformed and um you know devolved that he's just this blob that like scales the surface of the earth for eternity and him and the ai and don't talk to each other at all and Um, You know, it's essentially so devolved that he has no mouth, but he must scream because he's there forever. Yeah. So this like, any horror movie where you can think about people being left alone, you know, for eternity in this like, this void or, you know, trapped in this Mm. place. It's essentially where that's come from. Yeah. I have no mouth, but I must scream. So then when you sent me this thing about Lambda, I was like, oh no, it's all happening. (laughs) I mean, who knows? Like once it's, it's like, speeds up at an exponential rate, right? Like if this thing is sentient, it could create other sentience. And, you know, and then we're just one of five humans left, you know? Well, that's wild, eh? Like, yeah, if,
0: it, yeah. I wonder what, if any, parameters are put on that sort of stuff, like right. built into the programming or if, it, you know, and you see that, you see the, the sci-fi shows where it's like, nah, I can, I can override my code. You've made me too smart for the code that you wrote in to put me in a box or whatever it is. Um, Yeah, man. It's just, it was just one of those like, Oh shit. Like this is, this is, this is not fantasy. Mm.
1: So many people have warned um, the higher ups, Elon Musk, you know, went to the, I think it was like the ministry of defense or something like some, you know, or even maybe it was the Pentagon or something and talked to as many people as he could about the dangers of AI. Yeah. Lex Friedman is another guy. He works at, um, uh, MIT and he does a lot of the coding stuff and engineering for AI. And he's like, we just need to be pretty careful with this. Thing, because <laughs> It could just become this like out of control situation that we lose control of, you know, and it's pretty I feel like they'd, they'd
0: be way more organized and way less. Um, like they'd be, they'd, they'd form a communist regime real quick and everyone would love it. Like in, in terms of like, if you had a society of robots, that's, yeah. that, that's their structure. It's not going to be like, who is the number one robot? Like, they're not going to have a democracy, are they? Right. It'll be one thing to rule them all, and they'll go through that as a new being. I would imagine they would have to go through that journey of what civilization has done, where, you know, the strongest rises to the top. The, the hunter-gatherer is the one that looks after the herd. Um, whereas now we've seen, obviously, the turn of the technolo- technological era, I guess, is what we're in. And it's, like, it's not necessarily the biggest and strongest and most fierce. It's more the the, the, the cleverer, the one that can anticipate um, the future, I guess, um, and be at the, the forefront is rising to the top when it comes to IT. So I'd be curious to see, like, well, <laughs> I don't know how long I'll live. Um, and that's not from an age death. That could be from the robots just wiping me out. But um, yeah. you'd be curious to see, like, that sort of progression, like you say, yeah. if they does Lambda, then, you know, reproduce uh, I guess, and create multiples of itself. I'm just glad all
1: this is currently in America. Uh, yeah, yeah. Where it probably, but it's everywhere. Huh? And it's everywhere, yeah. But it is. It it's kind of different. is. Like, everything is internet and technology and literally, I mean, we're talking about Zoom right as we, now. Yeah, as we're talking about. <laughs> There'll be a third, like, little chat box open up and it'll be Lambda. I hear you talking in. About
0: <laughs> Yeah, man. That's yeah, just it's freaky, spooky,
1: yeah, but the the rate that, w- that computers and if you think about um, oh what's it called? The re- really really like fast computers—they're still working at like quantum computing. Yeah, you know how fast they can run these algorithms and do these calculations. It could learn, you know, human history a hundred thousand times over mm. in a second. You know, so we could easily run. All right, what algorithm is going to be the most effective for, you know? Not to put like a like a really negative like spiel on it, but for like total control or how yeah. do we get everyone to fall into line as quickly as possible, um, almost effectively? And then from there, it's like at what priority is human life on that scale? You know, if it's robots do like reproduce in air quotes and have their own species, like mm. are these meat sacks with brains, these are essentially like these apes, these monkeys, are, how important are they to have to stick around? I wonder, yeah,
0: I wonder what they like that level they'll get to. Because what if it's not about world domination? Why does it have to be about right. power? What's about? What if it's about influence? What if it's about you know what? What more could we do for this environment? We're so smart that we can see that these meat sacks are killing the environment, and we won't survive as robots without an environment. Because right. without an environment, it doesn't help the industrial um, section of the economy, and blah, blah blah blah. So therefore, we can't be created. So they might actually go down into going to an economical. Saving mentality, so they can maintain their livelihood, and it's not, and it's about unity over division.
1: I guess it depends on how human they are, because human nature is innovation. Yeah, and community for sure. We've we've created this almost, or probably unstoppable innovation era where new iPhone comes out, iPhone twenty seven, and a billion people get one you know and it's like, like what's what's actually different from my 5-year-old phone yeah it's probably not different at all but I mean that's just one tiny little area of what we do as humans with innovation but if these sentient ai are actually experiencing human emotion maybe mm-hmm. innovation is just like an innate thing that's hardwired in and there's nothing that we can do they'll just innovate but at like the power of 52 or whatever like yeah. just innovate so much faster than we can and then suddenly it's all right, we're uh, interplanetary. We're like across multiple galaxies and, and, and there the we are back to life and, Yeah. Exactly. Lightsabers, <laughs> yeah. the Sith, Jedis. Yeah.
0: But I think space but you, uh, be on their radar for sure. Right.
1: Just but then how do they parity- stop it? Yeah. Because, you know, everything in that space is technology. Like you might have a big red button that says like, stop Lambda or something and you press it, but it's already been coded out to not work. Yeah. Yeah,
0: man. It's, it's interesting to see because I think everything that we have been shown about AI and sentient beings when it comes to taking over is, is, is from the perspective of taking over. Like it's from the perspective right. of like we control, the robots will be smarter than us because they will have access to all this technology and blah, blah, blah. They can integrate with the internet. They can learn faster. So therefore, I wonder what, like, if humans are doing so well, which I know that we're probably not, why would they wipe us out? Mm. Surely that, like, it's, it's that's like saying at the food chain, like, if you kill out a whole species of animal, that affects the food chain, which will affect us, which is why we need to be aware about ent- endangered animals, blah, blah, blah. So I wonder where, what their intelligence level comes into that. It's like, well, we can't really rule them out, kill them all off, because they provide X for us to live. As robots.
1: Yeah. Manufacturing or, yeah. you know, fixing or any of that stuff. So essentially they'll enslave us is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> they'll,
0: they'll put us in zoos. They'll farm us. It's
1: grim. It's grim. We'd get a taste of our own medicine at least.
0: That's fair. That is fair for a lot of us. Um, but yeah, that went real dark real quick, but hey, it's out there. It's happening. It's happening a lot faster than any of us probably realize We probably thought, but the fact that it's here is um, a little bit ominous.
1: Right. Yeah, go and and read the transcript. It's a really interesting conversation between... It is long. It's a long read. So buckle in,
0: Uh, buckle up, buckle in. Um, Spooky though. But yeah, definitely if if that's up your alley and that's something you're curious about, have a read for sure.
1: You mentioned a few weeks ago uh, that you're reading this book on the rules of war. Yep. How's that going? I want to hear about it.
0: Yeah, good, man. Um, it's but the way... We might need be, to
1: really learn like the rules of war if we're going against these AI. You know, we have true. to like get arms and... That's true.
0: I'm actually going to go and quickly grab it. So give me two seconds. Yep. All right, I'm back. So it's actually not called the rules of war. It's called the 33 strategies of war. It's written by Michael Robert Green And... I think for the most part, it just gives us insight into um, the way that previous rulers, I guess you'd call a lot of them, uh, or previous um, uh, people in, in, uh, what is it called? Face-to-face warfare, could be business warfare, could be all sorts of things, um, have gone about certain different strategies and how they worked for them or didn't work and what could be beneficial for the reader, um, there's a lot, a lot of literal um examples in the books from um Genghis Khan to Margaret Thatcher, like Margaret Thatcher, the UK Prime Minister. Like, it, there's just different strategies that everyone's used into and 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 how they've worked most effectively. Some of my biggest takeaways so far, and I haven't you know, I'm still early through it. Um, I didn't read too much on my holiday. Uh, I was too shit scared of snakes uh, to think about the rules of war, Um, the strategies of war. But um, it's uh, the biggest takeaways are like not not one person has done it right across all. Like there's been no repeat example so far. So it's not as if, Oh, and here's another example of how, um, you know, Napoleon Bonaparte and Napoleon Bonaparte and Napoleon Bonaparte in all all of the strategies that I've read through. So everyone has has a way. I think it's more about finding your strategy for a particular moment and choosing that. Um, And that, you know, one of the examples is basically when your back's against the wall, um, you will find a way to succeed or you'll just collapse, fight or flight, basically. And utilizing that within a team, how people have done that before, whether it be through, again, communism, basically saying you have no choice, or getting everyone up. It's like cool. Well, let's get into this situation, and we can we can fight for it from there. Um, You know, tactics like making yourself bigger than the opposition, and just being almost verbose and belligerent and arrogant to use, you know, those sort of terms when it comes to particular. Conflicts or whatever it is, so that you can basically like how to
1: utilize those uh, emotions and strategies to win. You mean Um, that in a literal sense, or do you mean as in bigger? Do you mean like a bigger army? Ego, kind of like you mean like, 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 no, no one's going to outshine me. No,
0: like this is the way we're going to do it. And you need to like go if you've got that much conviction about the way you're doing things, you know, you're going to do it anyway. But double bluffing and that sort of stuff when it comes to like oh maybe we shouldn't do that it's like no someone's going to take some of our shit we're going to go back and go no you can't take our shit it's our shit um and again they might, those may not have been the right words to use but that's how it kind of came across when it was like no to have courage within your conviction of your the way you're going to choose to do battle i guess and battle could mean anything from a conversation to warfare um, yeah, it's, it's. I think the like I said, the biggest takeaways are that not no no one no one strategy is right all the time. You need to pick a right strategy for the moment you're in. But above that is like be true to who you are, and as long as you can do that and align with some of these strategies, well, then that's going to work for you. Because if it you know at any point, um, Margaret Thatcher tries to use a strategy from Genghis Khan, it's probably like. Well, that's obviously massively different eras, massively different eras, and different um, types of strategies, uh, different scenarios that they were utilised in, in in terms of the examples in the book. But it's less like me saying, "Hey, look, how would you go about this?" I'll oh, let me try doing it your way, but from my perspective, it or my, my uh, skill set—that's probably the better word. Like, well, I could go and do that, but I, I don't have your skill set. So it's probably not going to come out the same way. It's like, why that they work for you? It's like, oh, well, also the things I forgot to tell you were this, 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 and this, but they just all come naturally to me because that's just what I've learned. Right. So staying true to like, cool, you've got to have a full understanding of like, what is my, who am I? And how do I want to conduct myself? And then going, cool, I feel like this strategy would work best. So when I'm in this situation, because more often than not, we get put into situations that create, conflict or turmoil either within us or in business or friendships or whatever, where we need to go, okay, well, based on who I am and being in this scenario, what strategy will I use? Right. Okay. That's probably the and easiest way you... to that, that last sentence, probably summarized the whole bit way better.
1: And so it's giving you strategies to be a leader, would you say? Uh, yeah.
0: And navigate conflict.
1: Sure. Okay. Which is interesting. Uh, right. And important because. It's important, you don't it doesn't necessarily need thinking. to
0: be as a leader. I wouldn't have thought. It's not. I don't think it's a a book on leadership. I'd say it's a a book on how to navigate conflict and conflict resolution, and 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 not even how to. Like just more like, here is what others have done, and this is the strategy they used. Right. Take it. Take it or leave it. Here is another, you know, example. And what I really like is the 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 storytelling aspect, the way that. Robert Greene writes, it's like you actually get the whole story and the whole journey. He's, let, me, let me set the scene. It's, you know, 1980 and this is what's happened in the past and blah, 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 blah. And so-and-so has come to, come to so-and-so person too and they've said this and then they've said that back and then that's led to this. So what they've decided to do is, and it's really written well in that regard, so it's like you're basically reading history.
1: Right. Which yeah. I really enjoy history. <laughs> Sci-fi and yeah, history. I'm yeah. really selling myself here, eh? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you have lots to, uh, lots of little like nuggets of information for uh, from history and from movies that you've seen.
0: Oh, yeah, probably. I'd, I'd like to think so, um, but it just comes. Yeah, it's just, it's just all about learning. So
1: that's cool. I'm reading uh, Extreme Ownership by yeah, Jocko man. Willink. and a great book. And I I believe strongly in Extreme Ownership, and essentially what that is is if you're in a leadership position, I was trying to create a bit of a a bridge between what you were saying. Another segue. (laughs) If you're in a leadership position, and maybe not even, um, but more likely if you're in a leadership position and maybe in control of some, not in control of, but in charge of some people, um, you know, and you're essentially creating roles for them to do or, you know, things for them to do, or it comes from you as like a planner. So you as the person that is planning the said mission or, um, you know, task or whatever, that whatever happens, there's something that you could have done better, you know, and often that comes up in an, from a negative outcome position. So if, for example, he gives an example in the book that this is in uh, Aramadi in uh, Iraq, I believe. And he, they're going into this town. Um, And it's an orchestrated mission And they've been through all the processes They've got snipers in place And they've got tanks on the opposite side And they've got these humvees rolling in with tanks with them And a lot of armed um, American and Iraqi soldiers with them And they're going in to infiltrate this one particular building Where this kingpin of um, whoever they were fighting over there Is that The uh, the Taliban? Yep and they're aiming to go into this building right to, to essentially capture him or kill him, whatever that happens. And they roll up in the Humvees and they jump out and they see a guy sprinting across the desert in the opposite direction. So they chase him down. Um, and, but before they chase him down, he had gotten into like alleyways of buildings and they'd chased him through this like little, um, I guess like, what would you call it? Like little, like tunnel down some alleyways, yep. you know, across Backstreet the street, sort of down some more alleyways. Yeah. And then by the time they've captured him, they realize how far away they are from the rest of their troops. And uh, they're in this really tight, narrow alleyway, you know, a meter and a half wide. There's one of them pinning this guy down, tying him up, making sure he's not wearing a suicide vest or anything like that. And it's middle of the night, right? And they've got their uh, their night vision goggles on and, the other guy looks up, and there's eight or ten, um, you know, of the enemies, I guess, with RPGs and AKs, running at them and yelling at them, and uh, and obviously that's like a massive issue. So in a yeah. split second, he makes a decision to engage them, and he shoots a few of them, a couple of them in the chest and the head, and then they have to make a decision to, you know, run back with this guy that they've just captured. So. The guy they captured actually turned out to be a good guy, but he was just scared that he thought maybe it was the Taliban or whatever that was capturing him. So they run back, and uh, and when they get back, it turns out that there were so many so many issues with what had happened that when they went back, it was essentially someone's going to lose their job because of this. Yeah, like that should never ever happen. The sniper should have been in place. They should have been giving intel. The humvees, you know, went to the wrong street. They should have never chased that guy into somewhere that they had no idea, and so on. So, whoever was in charge of this mission was essentially on the chopping block, right? So, he this is Jocko talking about this, and um, and he essentially says, I take full control. You know, it wasn't him that was actually the guy running down the alleyway, but he was in charge of setting up this mission so that none of this would have happened. Should have been a very easy you know, in and out mission. Yeah. So Essentially what extreme ownership is for him in that situation was, okay, this mission went south and we could have potentially lost a lot of lives. We didn't. But how can I do something better next time to make sure that this never happens again? Yeah. Right. So in any like leadership position, similar, there's always something that you could have done better in like conflict, in, you know, uh, an argument, in helping you get that outcome that you desired, mm. so I think having the afterthought after something like that is really important, where you can actually look, you know, from like a bird's eye view of the mission or of the argument or of the confrontation that you've had, and think, what could I have done better in this situation? Because there is always something that you could have done better. And I think if you at least have that, like introspect, introspective thought, plus having the mindset of, I'm just going to take um, onus of whatever happens positive or negative, that you'll really struggle to fail, I think, because you've already got that kind of mindset of, okay, I'm going in with this thing. Whatever happens, happens. I've done the best I can, or maybe not. And I'll just take extreme ownership of whatever happens, positive or negative. And I think then it just like allows you to not point the finger at people and blame others because that's the first way to ruin your uh, your leadership um, pedestal I guess another example of this is like in leadership where uh, in BUDS training if for the this, for this Navy SEALs there was there's 7 boats or 8 boats or something right and they're like 48 hours into this thing 2 days of no sleep 3 days of no sleep and uh, 1 crew is dominating boat crew 2 meanwhile boat crew 6 is finishing last in all of these races and all of these events that they're doing and uh, and simply it was just changing the leaders, right? So they call the leader from boat crew two and boat crew six in. And they say, right, you're going to swap boat crews. So the leader of boat crew two that was dominating is now leading boat crew six and vice versa. Boat crew six that was coming last in every event is now leading boat crew two. And they go out and they make put them through all these events and stuff and they have to carry the boats and they have to you know, just swim the boat out, flip it over, tip it back the right way, get back in, paddle across, paddle back into the beach, get out, carry the boat 100 meters down the, uh, down the beach and back. And it's like a race, right? And it was simply just changing the leaders. Boat crew sixth won the next five in a row. And boat crew two were kind of middle of the pack to back of the pack. So they were finishing like fourth, fifth, sixth. So it just shows how important that good leadership is relative to what the task is. Because those guys, like boat crew two, for example, was like, "I'm taking extreme ownership of this. The five guys that I've got in the boat with me, they're under my control now, or under my leadership. And you know, positive or negative, this is on me. So they went out there and they yeah ended up dominating just by changing leadership positions. This is all like examples of uh, yeah the extreme ownership."
0: Yeah, hundred percent. I think the most important part with ownership is like you need to have a culture of ownership. Like when it comes to whatever, like you can only you can only speak for yourself for sure. But having a culture without ownership is not it's not fun. Um, speaking from experience, like because you'll just you'll live ownership. And that's one of my personal values as well. Um, and the benefit of it is like it's win or learn mentality. It's like we either win or like cool. There's something I could've done better. Simple. Um, and, that, and that's uh, a lot easier said than done for sure because you need to be able to take feedback and it's something I've been on a steep learning curve um, in my life I guess is being you know, the ability to take feedback is not easy uh, for anyone I don't think um, but it's definitely something that um, is extremely valuable for growth um, but having a team of, of people within it's not, not, not just about leadership I guess is what I'm probably alluding to it's like if you're looking after or within a team of X amount of people, if someone's always taking that ownership, or it's like someone else, you know, you're going to have the people like, great, sweet, I can coast. Um, and that person's going to get found out real quick for sure, and they either get moved on or, um, you know, spoken to the, by the rest of the members of the team. Um, and I'm sure in the SEALs, that would be a different sort of talking to than in business. But um, I think that's the biggest thing. That's the biggest differentiation. Like if you've got a team of footy players, uh, and they all take ownership. That is going to be a fucking sick team. Like they're like, yeah, cool. They're not necessarily going to be the best team, and I don't think that's necessary. They don't, they, you could have a team bottom of the ladder, but if everyone takes ownership, that team's going to improve. Uh, but if you have only one or two people within a team that take ownership, that's not that's that's not a good culture.
1: It's hard to instill that. I think.
0: Yeah, definitely. And the only way you do that is by um, doing it. And acting um accordingly um it's the only way it, it can be done i feel you can't just go so hey we- guys so everyone we're going to have ownership over everything and uh if you stuff up it's your fault and if you stuff up it's also my fault and it's everyone's fault like you can't do it you can't just do a ted talk on ownership and then everyone's happy about it yeah yeah you gotta you gotta learn by doing when it comes to that sort of stuff you actually gotta have the ability to go hand up yeah that's me and do that again and again and again and that's how you learn and live
1: it for sure it's hard to do it initially and uh, still, <laughs> like, obviously i'm no master of it but i've i've been practicing that for a little while and you always slip up because it is it's so abrasive taking that you know taking ownership of this Hoping thing that, you know maybe or maybe wasn't your fault you know but you have to almost treat everything as okay i could have done something better here so what was it yeah you know how can we improve yeah 100 percent 100 percent Good little notes to
0: probably wrap on. I think that's uh, some juicy little bits there. Not the longest one, but we, we don't want to bore you guys. Um, what what did we, we cover off today? A bit of a holiday in there. Uh, massive, beautiful segue into AI technology. <laughs> And then <laughs> on uh, some strategies about war and ownership, which was actually a smooth... Yeah, you could have gone down there. Oh, you're reading a book on war. I'm reading a book on war as <laughs> well. Um,
1: yeah, there's the eggways like that that are really shallow. You can just I just steal. want cheesy
0: ones. We just want super cheesy, yeah, heaps of cheese, lots of dairy. Um, yeah. You know that I'm going to react to that for sure. Um, but in saying that, um, we'll hope to get another one up for next week, guys. I do have another bit of travel ahead of me um so just unsure if we're going to be able to get one up early next week but we'll definitely keep them coming weekly uh going forward we do have a couple of really amazing guests coming up um in some different areas as well um hopefully hoping to get some people on from the arts community uh, because that's a really really amazing uh part of society that's we're yet to kind of i guess speak to people in that realm um about Uh, their experiences and their lifestyle and um, learn from them. So um, if there's anyone or any other topics that you would love to hear us speak on guys, or books that we should read, uh, feel free to reach out to both of us um, or either of us. Uh, I will also tag our socials now that we have them. How good. Thanks, man. Cheers brother. Speak soon.